Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Ephesians chapter 5, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 21 this morning. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Well, we have been studying now the book of Ephesians, and we've moved into the the second part, as Chuck just mentioned, into the, the practical side of it, how what Paul stated in the beginning about what our privileges are in Christ, doctrinally, how they apply to us. And so in this, we see the, the spiritual blessings that God has given to us in that we who once were spiritually dead were made alive in Christ. Again, and we've talked about how we were given then this change, that we were dead. We were walking as children of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ. And so in that, then, he wants us, challenges us, calls us, commands us to walk worthy of the calling with which we were called. So Paul begins chapter 4, the second half of his, his letter, what we call chapter 4, with this challenge to the church. That based upon all these things that God has done for you, you ought to have the desire 
to walk worthy of that calling. Two weeks ago, we began considering that from the perspective of the church and how the church then, as we're walking worthy of the calling with which we are called, we ought to then have a desire to be one. We ought to desire to have unity within the assembly. Kind of, And then as Jonathan or Justin was sharing in his testimony, it's sad when we see churches that are struggling in that light. And yet the reality is that there's going to be a war that's among us, okay? because we've got a bunch of selfish people in this church. And I'm one of them, right? And so by God's grace, we ask for, for God to continue to work in us and to transform us into his likeness. But that's something that we have to make a decision that we want to walk in. We want to walk in unity, that we have one creed serving one God, and that we know that it requires every single one of us to be a part of it. Okay, And so the challenge is there. Last week, we began looking that it as an individual then, bringing that, that walk into an individual realm, and yet still how it applies within the assembly, but even to those outside the assembly, and that is we were called, challenged, commanded, to, to no longer walk like the rest of the Gentiles walked in the futility of their minds, right? Because they were alienated from God, because their, their hearts were what? Darkened, remember, according to our memory verses, right? So there's a reason why I chose Ephesians 4, 17 to 19 as memory verses. Because it talks about the change that we ought to be having in our lives, okay? We're no longer like them. We, we, we no longer should be having an empty, foolish mind, okay? And, and, and then walking like the, the Gentiles did. But rather, we need to make a decision to put off the old mindset, to put on the new mindset, and then to begin to walk in a new way. Okay, And so, as we are told right here in the midst of it, that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind, that we put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. We didn't camp on that verse last week, but today we're going to actually be looking at that verse and extending now into chapter 5, because Paul's now going to take this concept, and now he's going to add it, not just walking a transformed life, living a transformed life, but it's going to be living a sanctified life. Because when God called us to this calling, to this walk that we are to walk, he created us in true righteousness and holiness. What's righteousness? What's righteousness? That which is right according to God. Yeah, so that which is right according to God. So if he, were, if he created us to true righteousness he's talking that the goal the 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 goal that i ought to be looking at pursuing is what his righteousness what's right in his eye not what's right in according to who the world the gentiles okay because the world has their own standards of righteousness think about our culture today would you say that our culture has standards of righteousness Yes, they do. They do. They do. So you're thinking biblical. You're thinking from, from your transformed lifestyle. But if you would ask them if they would have that, their answer would be yes. They do. They have. And so if you read Isaiah chapter 5, there are seven woes in Isaiah chapter 5. And we're not going to spend time going in there. But I want, when we went through it in Sunday school, we went, we went through the progression of the woes. Okay? Those who want up, they, they, they reject God, they begin to look at their own self, they want to, to serve themselves, okay? and then those with the power 
wind up making a decision of what morality is. They determine what righteousness is. Okay? And so, from their perspective, they have a sense of morality. They have a sense of righteousness. But when God called you, when God transformed you, when God changed you, he created you according to whose standard of righteousness? His standard of righteousness. Do you get it? It's the true standard of righteousness. True righteousness and true holiness. Hagias, being set apart. That's what God calls us to be. He calls us to, to walk in true righteousness and true holiness. And so as we go into chapter 5, we're going to see how that plays out. Because Paul immediately says, Therefore, based upon all this, I command you, not I request you, but I urge you, I exhort you to be imitators of God, walking in love, light, and wisdom. If you fully comprehend all that God has done for you, all the spiritual blessings that he's bestowed upon you in the, in the heavenly places, how he has pardoned you, how he has redeemed you, how he has adopted you as his son, there should be no, no qualms within you to want to love him back. We love him because he first loved us. What is the greatest form, my mind just went chink, of, say, say again? Nah, well, worship, but, um, oh, man. Flattery, thank you, that's the exact word. The greatest form of flattery. It's imitation. It's imitation. If I am so enthralled with God in everything he's done for me, I ought to want to be like him. In seminary, we laughed about guys when we were in homiletics class and so they got homiletics is, is teaching and you know so now i have to wear glasses i mean i i'm not wearing glasses because i think it's really cool and it looks very prof the prof look you know and so i, I tried contacts but i couldn't deal with poking my finger in my eye so you you, you people who can poke yourself in the eye you're, you're you're better than i am okay but i don't wear these things because i think they're chic okay and so but there were guys in seminary who didn't need to wear glasses, who got glasses. Because they thought that having glasses was what you needed to do to look like having to be in a great preacher. And so you'd put the glasses on, the glasses off, and it was kind of good. Or, or they'd pound on the, on the, on the pulpit because the, the best preachers pound on the pulpit. You know, they write it beside their notes on their pound pulpit here. Anyways, and so I'm joking. But, but you get what I'm saying? And so imitation... They were seek, they they loved they adored these specific teachers and they wanted to be like them. Who do you want to be like? Who do you seek to imitate? Paul says, "Be imitators of God, as dear children." That's what we want to talk about today. In it, first of all, we're told to, that we ought to walk in love. As children of God, imitating the holiness of your father. Now you say, it doesn't say holiness there. Well, it did in chapter 4, and then he's coming back with this therefore. You know, the greatest verse, I think, on the holiness of God in the Bible is not one that you would pick. People will talk about holiness. I think it's John 3.16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You say, holiness isn't there at all. But if God was love without holiness, would he have to die? No, he'd just do it. He'd just let you in. But God is holy, and he can't just let you in. But in his love, he had to appease his holiness. You understand? So, for God so loved the world that he what? He appeased his holiness. He gave his only begotten son to be the propitiation for your sins. Do you track? So, when you get this concept of God's holiness, his set-apartness, it will lead directly into love. So as we talked about in Second Peter, the, the, the very end of this, and to put on to your, your faith, put on virtue, and to virtue, put on, and going all the way down, the last step is akapao love. Because the highest form, that's even godliness. So, you know, you're putting on godliness into godliness, you're going to put on uh, perseverance into perseverance, you're going to put on brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, you're going to put on love. Because once you understand the concept of godliness, when you understand the concept of holiness, you're going to start putting on love. So you want to imitate your father, your Abba, God, in his holiness, his set-apartness. And so your love isn't going to look look like the love of the, the Gentiles. They love in the futility of their mind. They love with licentiousness. They love with the desire to please themselves. But God doesn't love that way. God loves with a holy love. So we're supposed to walk in love, imitating the holiness of our Father. And so First Peter, Peter says in his first epistle, he says, But as ye who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Matthew 5, verse 48, we're told, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And if you were in Sunday school, we talked about this. What's the context of Jesus telling us to walk in perfection as, as our Father is perfect? Somebody from Sunday school, do you remember? Ooh, this is pretty bad. This is just 15 minutes. Well, okay, maybe it's an hour ago. What is it? What was the context? Loving your enemies. Enemies, not just your neighbors. This was loving your enemies. To love your enemies, pray for those who despitefully use you. And then Jesus says, therefore you shall be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. That perfection then is summed up, that holiness is going to be summed up in how you can love others. 1 John 4, 10 to 11, In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I am called to be imitators, an imitator of the holiness, if you would, slash love of God. Okay? Rejecting the filthiness of the world. And so he goes on and says then, in this, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. Stop for a moment. Go back to that. Fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. It's not even fitting to be named. Think about the movies you watch. Think about the stories you read. 
fornication, all uncleanness, covetousness, as is fitting for the saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting. They're not worthy. You're called to walk worthy, to be imitators of God. I like to ask people, would you go and take Jesus with you? Would you be watching if Jesus was in your living room? Is that something you would be listening to if Jesus was hanging out with you right now? Filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting. This was Bob. I get it. Okay, Bob had a, the, the quick and, 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 and witty tongue. It was able to slice people up with what they said. It was, it was not edificational. It was not beneficial to people. It was prideful on Bob's part. But sometimes we make jokes. And I remember someone years ago, and I won't give you the con, but it was a believer, it was a, it was a leader, and he took me with him on a, to a place, and he, he made this joke. And it wasn't like awful, wasn't evil, but my, my first reaction was like, where did, that didn't come, need to come from you. I mean, it was a, used a term that could be this or that. And so... You know, I don't, I don't want to give you the story. But it was clearly, he was leaning, you know, it was pointing to the, to the ugly side, the, the unclean word, you know, as he said it. And, and I'm thinking, you're called by, by the name of Christ. That, that, that shouldn't even be on your tongue. Yeah, it's cute. Yeah, it's funny. But no, it's not. Do you get what I'm saying? I mean, there are things that are funny. I get it. But in Christ... They're not. They're unclean. They're coarse jesting. They're rude. They're filthiness. They're foolishness. And we're called to walk, as we're going to see in just a moment, in wisdom, not foolishness. Rejecting the filthiness in the world, in our actions. We're told in 1 Corinthians 5, Yet I certainly did not mean the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to have gone out of the world. So Paul's saying, look, there's somebody in, your, in, in, in the assembly who's having a relationship with his father's wife that he shouldn't be having. And you guys are letting it happen. And you need to get him out of there. You need, you need to cut him out so that, that hand him over to Satan so his flesh will be destroyed, but his soul will be saved. He's a believer. But when I'm saying that, I'm not saying that you've got to eliminate all interactions you have with who? The world. Otherwise, you'd need, God, you have no purpose in the world. But you're not supposed to act like the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, covetous, an idolater, a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not to even eat with such a person. They're going to be in the world. And you're supposed to be light amongst them. But when we start acting like the world, then we as believers, even in unity, need to be chastening for holiness. Because we desire to be imitators of God. Walking in what? Walking in love. Love. 
if you spare the rod from your child, what does the Bible say that you lack? Love for your child. As a church, it's the same thing. If we do not address uncleanness, filthiness, foolishness amongst ourselves, it's not a matter of grace and glory. It's a lack of love, of true love, holy love, akapa'a love. Rejecting the filthiness of the world in our actions and in our words. Proverbs 15.2 says, The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. Jesus said, You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word, do you get that? Who's speaking? Jesus. Do you think he's telling the truth? Do you think he knows what he's talking about? Because he's God. As God, who also is he? Say it again. Everybody together. One, two, three. The judge. Who's talking? The judge. Do you get it? The judge is talking right now. The judge is giving you the standard. Don't just read past it. Don't just fly by it. Ah, you know, he didn't really mean it. I say to you that for every idle word men speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Do you believe that? You better say yes. Jesus said so. Do you get it? It's not, I'm not saying, hey, are you excited about that verse? Is this your life verse? <laughs> you know, man, I'm claiming this verse. You know, isn't that kind of fun how we claim verses that we like? But verses where it's talking about how I'm going to be judged, it's kind of like, ah, we'll put that one down on page 12. <laughs> yeah. But this love and this holiness thing goes together because we're heirs of the kingdom. Heirs of the kingdom. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Do you get that so far? They're not going to what? Inherit the kingdom of God. God, in such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul says, he goes on, he says, For this you know, that no fornicator, uncleanness, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. The the word of God is replete. And this is being spoken after grace. Do Do you get what I'm saying? And so if you have been changed, if you were once dead and you were made alive, 
if, as Paul or Peter says in his second epistle, that by the divine power, he has come and he's changed you, and now you can become partakers of the divine nature, then things in your life ought to have changed. But if any of these words can describe you right now, then you've got to ask yourself whether you've been changed. And I know in our day today, that's considered hate crimes. That's hate speech. But it's love speech. Don't let the world deceive you. That's Satan wanting to get us to take truth and to be, become excusing of it, to be sorry for it, to be apologetic for it. Whose standards are the standards by which we will be judged? God's, period. Do you, do you understand that? It is unloving, unloving to not let people know so. If I am a, a, a doctor and I know that you have cancer, it can be cured. But I don't want to make you feel bad. So I don't tell you so. Is that loving? Yeah, we'd sit there and go, that's stupid. That doesn't make any sense. Well, how much more so when someone's going to spend eternity apart from the grace of God? But he's not just talking about evangelism here. He's talking about us and how we're supposed to be walking. And so when so-called believers are walking, fornication, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, sodomitism, thievery, covetousness, drunkardness, revelries, rallying, we're not walking in the love of Christ. And now he's going to go on because he's going to start bringing us further into walking in the light, talking about how this plays out then with the holiness of God. Okay, and how the two things come together. And he then uses two terms here where he tells us not to be. The first is that we're supposed to have no association with darkness. The, I, the, the term here um, I have up there, yes, sum medoiko, uh, it says to be associates with. Literally, so the medicos is an associate of somebody else. So think about, these are going to be two terms because we're going to talk about koinonia in a second, koinonos, uh, um, in a second, and these are going to be two terms of individuals who are um, um, intertwined with someone else or something else in a more of an um, official capacity or official sense. Okay, This associate, you think of like when you go into a store and you have the manager, right? But then you have a what? An associate manager okay what's an associate manager what's an associate manager manager they represent the manager okay they are intertwined with the manager can they make decisions like the manager would make they can do you understand and so they're intertwined with the manager okay and so the same thing here so you are associated then assume is our word with again Okay, and you can look at all these passages. We don't have time to go through all these, okay? But the, um, Ephesians 3, 6 talks about um, the, how the, the Gentiles the, the, in the 
Jews become associated together with together um, in Christ. Okay, but in Luke five um, talks about the, uh, Peter and, and John in the boat. They got their associates, James and John, to help them out. Okay, so they they were business partners, if you would. Okay, and so we're told in the Word of God in Hebrews. A lot of these are talking about believers together, okay? The idea is that we shouldn't have any of this association where we are, we are joining together with one another in this thing, okay? 2 Corinthians 6 goes through this long passage, okay, using terms of telling us how we're not supposed to be unequally yoked with one another. I've heard so many horror stories of when how believers have joined themselves together with unbelievers, whether in marriage or whether in business. Okay? And so, well, you know, it doesn't matter if I marry her, because God can save her. Well, God can. But he didn't promise to. What what he did tell you was, do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. For what fellowship, that's our word, medake, has righteousness with lawlessness, what communion, koinonia, has light with darkness, what accord, symphony, Symphony. What symphony is there with Christ and Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says Yahweh. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Numerous times he's telling us, different ways he's telling us, Building, building, building. Don't be an unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't be an associate with those who are walking in darkness. Why? Because of our transformation. He says, for you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You once were this, but you've been transformed. You shouldn't do this any longer. As he says in 1 John 1, God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship, koinonia with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If you claim to be a follower, a child of God, and you are walking in darkness, and it doesn't bother you. God says, you're lying to yourself. Because you're really not lying to God. God knows. How foolish it is to lie to yourself all your life, only to find out at the judgment seat that you've been living a, a lie. Our transformation, our treasure. This is so exciting to me. Walk as children of light. Why? For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. When you begin to put on that to, to your faith add virtue, and to your virtue add, and here my brain just went, to, to virtue add, was it knowledge? What's the next one? 
knowledge. Anyways, and so you have all these things, and then the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering. When you begin to add these things to your life, when you begin to walk in it, when you begin to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, do you know what you find out? What is acceptable to the Lord? And that's what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 12, when he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship, and do not be conformed to the world, but rather be transformed in the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to prove, prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When, when you do that, when you offer yourself as a living sacrifice and you are being transformed in the way you think, you'll begin to find out what is acceptable to the Lord. It actually becomes appealing to you. It's actually exciting to you. And you begin delighting yourself in the Lord. And Psalm 37 verse 4 says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. You want name and claim it? There's biblical name and claim it. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. And start being transformed in the renewing of your mind. And guess what you'll find out? You'll start knowing what God wants. And if you ask anything, 1 John chapter 5, if you ask anything according to his will, you'll know that he'll hear you. And if you know that he hears you, you'll know you have the petition of what you ask. God's word is true. They're promises. If you ask according to his will, if you ask according to what is acceptable to him, he answers. Having no association with darkness, our treasure, those things which are pleasing to Yahweh. And secondly, having no camaraderie. I love the word camaraderie. I didn't know the word camaraderie until Jessica was in the National Spelling Bee. She went out on the word camaraderie. And uh, we only knew the English side of camaraderie. I didn't know the French side of camaraderie. But camaraderie is the... Is, is the term that we would use with the three musketeers statement. All for, one, and one for all. That's what the body of Christ ought to be. We ought to be one for all and all for one in Christ. But we ought not to have that with darkness. There ought to be no koinonia, no camaraderie with darkness. Sadly, years ago, I remember someone who was... I would say would be an older believer in the faith, started to made the statement that they were starting to feel more um, was, um, comfortable with the unbelievers than they were with the church. That's a sad place to be. Now, evangelism, that's okay, you want to be right, but you're starting to feel more comfortable with unbelievers than you are with the church. That's a, that's a challenging place to be at. You need to check where you're walking. Because when you're starting to enjoy the darkness, that means you've been dabbling in the darkness a little bit too much. Okay? goes back to that first John 1 passage, right? John 3. So we know John 3, 16, I quoted it, right? But this is in the context of it. Jesus is still talking. And he says, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be what? Exposed. He who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So rather than having camaraderie with darkness, 
we ought to be seeking to expose or reprove the darkness. I like the word reproved as a translation. King James has reproved. Um, New King James has exposed. Um, the different translations have different words. I like the word um, reprove, though, because that's what the word literally means. It means to, to not just allow it to go on, but you're going to address it. The idea is that, again, because we're coming from the love into the light, right, that in, in my love for the other individual, I want them to understand that what they're walking in, and this is detrimental to them. And so I'm going to reprove it. Okay? It's like you talking to your children. Okay? They're doing something wrong. It's not, oh, honey, that's so great. You know? No, it's not. You can't do that. So rather than, we have to reprove it. Okay? Third part is we are going to be then walking in wisdom. See then, verse 15, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The first thing we're told to do in walking in wisdom is redeeming the time. It's going to be a marker, we're told, of walking in wisdom, walking wisely. The word circumspectly is the word akibos, okay, which literally means to, to do something diligently or thoroughly, okay? And again, you can look at, I've got, I think I, in your sermon notes, I have verses there for it, okay? But it means to look at something from all perspectives, okay? And so you are going to, to look at this thing from all over the place. It, it is translated diligently sometimes. So like Luke talks about, do I have them here? I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Matthew 2, verse 8, Herod sent the Magi to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully, look everywhere, he wasn't saying just kind of go in and peek. Hi, oh, do you see the baby? No, okay, good. But he said, go, search carefully, Akipos, okay, for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me. Luke 1, 3, this is Paul, uh, Luke when he's writing, says, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding, Akipos, that I have researched all over the place. I've talked to everyone. And so I... I have all this that I've done. I've done a thorough research, and now I'm going I'm to I'm write about this, okay? Proverbs 14, 8, the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the follies of fools is deceit. What's being talked about then? The idea is that the wisdom of the prudent is to do what? To make sure he understands all that's going on before he what? He makes a decision, okay? So here I'm told, commanded, to walk circumspectly. I'm told to consider everything that's going on. And if I do that, I'm not going to be as a fool, but I'm going to be as wise. I'm going to do what? I'm going to redeem the time. If I am walking circumspectly, if I'm walking wisely, if I'm considering all the details, everything that's going on out there, I'm going to have the desire to not waste time. To not waste time. Time is a commodity that you cannot save. It's use it or lose it. I get that. My body's reminding of me of it all the time. The clock is, is, is still turning. And, 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 and there's less sand up top than there is on the bottom. You, you tracking where I'm going on that? Okay? And I think to myself, I've had 61 years. What have I done? With my 61 years. I got 20 years, maybe more, maybe less. But 20 years left. Doesn't that sound morbid? 
It's not morbid. It could be. It may be more than that. Maybe less than that. I could die today. But the reality is, if I'm walking in wisdom, I'm walking, looking around, then I'm going to seek to buy back the time. Use it for all of its worth. John 12, Jesus said, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Here's with the darkness again. He, he who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. He also said, Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Talking about the end times. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your, all your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Work, work, because the darkness is coming. It's already here. And, and we're told, Jesus said, because the, the evil will abound, the love of many is going to wax cold. If, look, the, the second law of thermodynamics is what? The law of entropy. Is it entropy? Or is that the third law? Oh, that was the second law of thermodynamics. Entropy. Entropy is that all things left to themselves will will run down, will decay. That's your spirituality. If you're not seeking to grow, you're going to decay. If you're not seeking to become more in the light, you're going to become more in the dark. This is how it plays out. That's what Jesus said. In the same way. Walk, work. Work diligently. It's a matter of understanding the day. He says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I don't have time to go into it, but the sons of Issachar we talk about, who understood the times to know what Israel ought to do. They understood the times. Romans 13 says, Now do this knowing the time. Now it is high time to wake out of your sleep. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. Redeem the time. The days are evil. And in doing that, fulfilling God's will. He says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he talks to us about what the will of the Lord is. And I don't have a lot of time to get in, into this. But first, he gives us a contrast. And that is not to be filled with wine. I want to just present to you real quick. You can write down these, these references. They may be on your sermon note sheet. I'm not sure. Proverbs 21, wine's a mocker. Whoever's led astray by it is not wise. Proverbs 31 talks to, to the king and to the prince. It's not for kings to drink wine nor for princes to intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. In Leviticus chapter 10, Yahweh is speaking to Aaron after Nadab and Abihu are killed because they brought strange fire to God. And what God says as a result of that, he says, therefore, based upon what happened, you should not drink wine before you come to serve me at the altar. Because it's going to cause you to not be able to discern between the clean and the unclean. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, Peter says that we are a nation, a kingdom of princes and priests. The Word of God does not say you cannot drink. But the Word of God is very clear that it's a wisdom decision of what you are going to fill yourself with and what you're going to be led by. When you put 
wine or an intoxicating drink in your body, you are allowing yourself to be led by something else. Well, I only have one because it, 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 it loosens me up. Exactly. Because it has an effect upon you. That's why you take it. Why does someone drink the second one? Because they felt good by the first one. Why do they drink the third one? Why do they drink the fourth one? Why are they DUI? It's a wisdom decision. I'm not saying you cannot drink. I'm not saying that. But God's word says it very clearly. It's a wisdom decision. If you understand that you are a prince and a priest, then understand the the statements that are being made to those who are princes and those who are priests. It clouds your judgment. Don't drink wine. Don't drink intoxicating drink because it's going to cloud your judgment. That's the contrast. But then the evidence of being spirit-filled is that you will be God-focused. You're going to be speaking to one another spiritually. You're going to be singing in your hearts to the Lord. You're going to be giving thanks to God for all things. And you're going to be submitting to one another in the fear of God. Submitting to one another in the what? Fear of God. I thought this was New Testament. I thought we are all about the love of Christ. But we're going to be submitting to one another in the fear of God, knowing again that we're going to go before the judgment seat. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's very clear that we will go before the bema seat of Christ. As believers, I'm not worried about going before the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20. I'm not worrying about whether I'm going to be saved or I'm not saved. But I'm still going to go before the judgment seat of Christ. I am going to give an account for all that I've done in my flesh. Do you believe that? So in the end, are you walking worthy of the calling with which you were called? I'm going to continue to ask that every week. Because that's what Paul's called us to do. That's what God has called us to do through Paul. Secondly, do you aspire to imitate God or individuals in the world? Who are you wanting to be like? Who are you spending time to be like? Did you ever see people, um, I'm thinking of Ernest, uh, I can't remember what the guy's real name is, but Ernest goes to jail, Ernest does this. Anyways, in the one thing, he, he starts imitating, he does the, all the different voices and, and acting, the part, you know. What do they call that um, when someone does that? Impersonator, yeah. He's great, great in- wouldn't it be great if, again, our impersonation, and I don't mean that wrong, of God was such that people were like, wow. Wow, he's different. Do you spend more time studying the wisdom of God or the foolishness of the world? And I mean that with all my heart, tenderly. It just drives me bonkers that people spend more time in social media, in in. in listening to um, guys on the radio than they spend time in God's word. And I'm not puffing Jimmy up. I don't mean to puff Jimmy up at all. But if you talk to Jimmy five years ago and you talk to Jimmy now, it's exciting to hear the word of God coming out of him all the time, quoting verses that he wouldn't have been able to quote five years ago. But he spends, and so I'm not building up Jimmy, but he spends two hours in quiet time every morning. He shames me. And then he spends hours listening to the Bible 
every day. He has the opportunity because he drives a truck. But he listens to the Bible multiple times through the course of the year. And he reads it multiple times through the course of the year. And so over the last five years, it's starting to have its effect. Where do you spend your time? Who are you learning from? Whose wisdom are you seeking to gain? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Lord, help us to desire to walk worthy of your calling. Help us to desire to be imitators of God as dear children. Help us to desire to walk in the light as you were in the light and not according to the darkness. Lord, help us not to even to desire or to, 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 to want to dabble in the darkness, but rather to reprove the darkness, Lord. That's just a struggle for us. There's darkness all around us in our culture. Lord, you'd called us to be like cities that are upon us, the hill whose light cannot be hid. Help us to be that, Lord. That we would be your representatives. Drawing attention to you. That others might see the good works which you are doing in us and they might glorify you. Not us, but you. That you would receive the glory in Christ's name. Amen.